0: The.
1: Podcast. my name is vivian gabor and today's episode is gonna be so exciting i am so ready uh y'all have no idea what's about to hit you uh, i am very grateful and very excited to welcome to the podcast guy branham hello
0: hello good to be here thank you for having me
1: how's how's things going how's writing
0: uh life is fine. The world is, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it's good. I am working on hacks for HBO right now and uh a movie I was in, um Bros just came out um streaming. So people should stream it if they have not seen it yet.
1: I am one of those people that have not seen it yet, and I looked it up like yesterday to figure out where it was streaming so I could watch it, and it was giving me absolutely no indication.
0: Oh, it's on okay. like app. It's on um, iTunes. I mean, it's like they're doing the thing where it's expensive because it, it just came out. So it is mm. like twenty bucks to rent, twenty five to buy. Um, but uh, you know, if you can afford it, support queer cinema. Also, it's a really funny movie. I should not say do it to support queer cinema. <laughs> do it because it's a really funny movie, and you should want to watch it um, because people tore Billy Eichner apart for. Um, being too self-righteous in promoting in the movie and um, talking about the historical nature of the film too much. So, it's just a, fun, a funny movie. Which makes no sense and because... Amazon.
1: Okay, great. Um, yeah, it makes no sense, jumping right into that, why people were tearing him apart for being so excited for being part of history when it's like any movie that's part of any kind of history or any movie, honestly, you should be proud about promoting, like...
0: Yeah, but, like, uh, you know, I think gay guys love tearing apart any gay guy who is maybe getting, um, you know, a little full of himself. I understand that. And, like, you know, tearing ourselves apart for being uh, self-righteous at all. And I don't know that Billy was any of those things, but, you know, like, we love being bitches to each other. It's really fun. I do it all the time.
1: Absolutely. It's the best part of being gay. yes (laughs)
0: it's why I started
1: drag so people would think it was me being funny instead of me being mean (laughs) good (laughs) um so for for our listeners who maybe don't necessarily know who you are do you mind telling them a little bit about um kind of your history with what you have provided to media as a whole but also just who you are
0: oh um Well, I'm a comedian. I uh, do stand-up comedy um, at various places around the world, and I've also written for a lot of TV shows like Chelsea Lately and The Mindy Project and the other two, and then also sometimes I'm on TV, uh, like... Um, For the last couple of weeks, for some reason, I've been hosting games on The Kelly Clarkson Show. Um, And I was in a romantic comedy that Natalie Portman made 10 years ago. And I'm in this romantic comedy that Billy Eichner made. And so and I have a book, My Life as a Goddess, um, which is about my life and popular culture. Um, So that's what I do. That's what I provide to the culture.
1: I mean, I first became aware of you because of your unfortunately now canceled podcast Pop Rocket,
0: oh, which wonderful. was
1: literally my favorite thing on the planet. And the day it ended, I cried.
0: Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, so like, that's so sweet. Legitimately, it was a really it was a really great uh, pop culture podcast that I did with uh, Margaret Wappler, Winner Mitchell, and uh, Karen Thompson. And I I really miss just like having a like pop culture check in every week.
1: It was the chance for me to uh, hear from people who had uh, opinions similar to mine where mm-hmm. in, a, in an environment where a lot of... Uh, I was inundated at that time with a lot of straight people's opinions and a lot of uh, white men's opinions on things. And it was just nice to hear from people who were similar to me and from a similar background as me
0: yeah I, I mean <laughs> it was it was really fun to just have them and have them in my life and I now like I will of course text them when I like watch something or read something that is like very much I would want to talk to them about um but there are still times when I'm like after I saw tar I was like I just want to listen to Karen Tonks and talk about tar for 45 minutes
1: absolutely I'm I need to contact the rest of your co-hosts from that podcast because I would love to have them on as well but oh, absolutely Um, I also One of my favorite things near the end of that podcast Was listening to the debates Over the Pop Rocket seal of approval uh, (laughs) And who to approve Um, And I I still need to know If The Rock is approved or not (laughs) Because we never ended that
0: (laughs) I have to imagine he is He's very talented though I hear Black Adam is bad I mean everyone has bad moments True
1: Uh, so what is what brought you to want to talk about pop culture? What is, what is your draw to pop culture specifically?
0: Well, I grew up in a little farm town in Northern California, and a lot of the stuff that was interesting to the people around me, killing animals and being in cars or trucks and driving them around just seemed stultifyingly boring to me. And pop culture was just sort of... Um, an access point into a larger world and into lives that I wasn't exposed to, um, just sort of around me. And, you know, it was, it was the art that was readily available and it was the art that was, you know, just sort of culturally accessible as a kid. And, you know, I, I would try to expose myself to fancy stuff and there was a lot of fancy stuff that I liked, but pop culture was also like super readily available. and so. That's what started me on it, and yeah.
1: Did you find yourself more attracted to to TV at that time, now that you're a TV writer? Was that how that kind of pulled you in, or?
0: TV, there was just so much of it, like, coming into your house every day, where movies felt, like, magical and important, and, like, I wasn't really exposed to a ton of music that um, really felt personal personal to me until Mm. later like most of the music I was exposed to just seemed like it was um, I don't know not just not particularly interesting I don't know I like a lot of it now Um, but I think books uh, like books and TV were really the things where I was like and movies just sort of like oh wow there's something in here that I haven't seen before I want to learn more about that.
1: I definitely can understand that Uh, I uh, TV was always kind of a guilty pleasure for me because I grew up in a a home where I was homeschooled Um, Mm -hmm. and my parents pretended to be fairly conservative, I found out much later they were like my dad loved South Park and my mom and he used to go to uh late night screenings of rocky horror picture show in college and like oh really like so they hid all of that from us as kids so we thought that we were really conservative growing up and i've i've never gotten to the (laughs) gotten down to the point of that but uh we were only allowed 20 minutes of tv a day not including commercials
0: that's ridiculous Uh,
1: yeah so (laughs) you can't watch our
0: whole show
1: well we could not including commercials so we would like save that up for like we would watch an episode of wishbone or we'd watch an episode of magic school bus or something like that um, and then but then of course whenever my mom when we were old enough and my mom would like leave us home to go grocery shopping or something is immediately when i would turn on the tv and it would be mtv or something like that watching all those really terrible game shows that they used to have on like room raiders or something just to feel connected to the outside world. Where are you from? Uh, I grew up outside of Seattle in Linwood, Washington.
0: Okay. Well, and also we didn't have cable, so it Mm -hmm. was like, you know, it felt like the whole rest of the world had this access to like cool stuff and I didn't know anything about it. Yeah,
1: I definitely, I didn't hear Britney Spears for the first time until college. (laughs) Uh, just because my parents were so specific about the kinds of things that we could listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just remember that kind of culture shock of, oh, my God, what is this music? What are drums like? (laughs) (laughs) So I could definitely uh, relate to that, needing every bit of pop culture that you can find around you just to kind of feel connected to something. Um, how did you, how did you get into writing?
0: I mean, I think I wanted to get to the other side of the television. You know, I just wanted to sort of like figure out how to be part of the world that was making this stuff that I loved or whatever. And I didn't really have an answer. I didn't know a path. Um, so I just started stand-up, like I knew that open mic stand-up was a thing that you could do. And uh, I did that for a while. And then uh, a a comic in San Francisco had... She was a a co-host on uh, a little show on a little cable network that was there in San Francisco, and she suggested me for a job. And that was my first job. And I, you know, I had gone to law school and I was applying for legal jobs. And I ended up getting a writing job before I got a law job. And it was just like, it was the thing that didn't seem possible, you know? And then it happened and I was like, this is the best moment of my life. And maybe it was the best moment of my life, um, but uh, yeah. And it was a little job and it didn't pay that well, but it was a start and it, you know, it kept me on a path. And since then I've made money from writing pretty much always.
1: I love those moments in life where you're planning on something and you're like, well, maybe I'll also like apply to this thing or do this thing. And then if that turns into something before the other thing, I'll follow up on that. And it always ends up well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like believing in yourself is really hard. And it took me a long time to realize that believing in yourself is like a really important skill. And I'm very lucky that uh, the universe believed in me uh, that little bit at the beginning. Because there were many times after that that the universe was not there for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you've
1: written on some incredible shows some very well-loved shows um and you talked about some of them in your book my life as a goddess which I when I moved to New York I road tripped across the country and I listened to your book for the first like half of that road trip oh that's Um, very sweet
0: because it was just me in the car and
1: I needed something
0: (laughs) I'm proud to be part of that process
1: I mean yeah you you were what Got me through uh, Washington, Montana, and Wyoming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, those are those are rough places. Uh, I you know uh, also just boring drives. Uh, the Rockies <laughs> scare me. One time, I was coming through the Rockies in Wyoming, and um, I truly was. It started snowing, and I was going downhill, and I was so scared. And I was like, as soon as I get to a gas station, I'm just pulling off and waiting for it to stop snowing. And then there were no gas stations. By the time I got to a gas station, it I had gotten low enough that it was just rain. And I was like, I can survive this. Um, but <laughs> The thanks. Rockies
1: are terrifying, truly yes. terrifying. I think it's, I can never remember the name of the pass. I think it's Lookout Pass is the pass between Idaho and Montana. And there's this one point where you kind of, you reach the top and there's this nice little like, bathroom break area and then you have to go down and it's just directly down like the, It almost no switchbacks you're just going down the mountain and it's terrifying
0: that's terrifying that said last year I went to Corsica and I was driving alone um like I was going to dinner alone because the my friend who had gone with me didn't want to and so I was driving our the rented car on a road that was like five feet across and it, on one side was pure rock and on the other side was a sharp cliff down to the ocean and it was horrifying um but i made it through
1: there's a reason why i moved to a city where i don't need to have a car
0: <laughs> that's very fair
1: and if i want to drive i either can rent one to drive someplace safe or i can get an uber and let someone else deal with it
0: yeah no, I mean, I don't know. Driving is nice, though. I like LA. I, I prefer being... I prefer car commute time to uh, subway commute time. I feel like I, do I have too. my own head in a better way.
1: I do, too. I found... When I first moved to New York, I was like, okay, subways. This is going to be great. I can, like, read on the subway. I can do stuff. And no, I, I'll listen to a podcast, but I have to re-listen to it later because I'm just, like, yeah. so... Overwhelms so many so many so many stimuli coming at me all at once i'm just like i can't focus on anything at all on the subway
0: no absolutely i sometimes would read and that was nice and that's something you can't do in a car but um like i don't know in a car you can sing along with the music i really like that
1: absolutely uh so if you're in a car singing along to music what music are you singing along to
0: oh um Currently probably the Olivia Newton-John song, Twist of Fate, Um, but you know, it can be any number of things. I just, uh, you know, usually something like big and poppy. Um, Sometimes when I'm going to like a show or something that's a big deal, I will definitely sing along to something in my car to sort of like get the energy flowing.
1: I feel that. I feel that. I I have this terrible thing with music where anymore, I only listen to the stuff that I think is I can perform and make tips from, and it's definitely <laughs> killed my music taste. <laughs> no, there's something
0: terrible about monetizing something that you love. You know, mm-hmm. what have you been listening to recently?
1: Uh, I I will say outside of stuff that I'm like that's like typical top 40s drag queen twirl stuff, uh, I cannot stop listening to there are two things I can't stop listening to one of them is uh Queen Herbie's basically entire album or not album but her like entire repertoire especially her Halloween album that she put out last year um she's incredible she uh was the singer for shoot what was their band called um Carmen uh they put out some stuff but it wasn't ever really working and so they like reformatted and now she's a rapper and it's some of the most incredible rap i've ever heard i'm not um, familiar so she's incredible and then i'm also tiktok strangely got me turned on to uh this kind of failed off broadway musical called ride the cyclone <laughs> what um, is it about it's a <laughs> it's appropriate for this time of year. It's about like this this kids choir that goes to a circus in Saskatchewan. Um, and they all go up to this uh, one of those like you put a coin in, you get a fortune out of the fortune teller machines they all go up to it and the only thing that it's able to say it's completely sentient but the only thing it's allowed to say is ride the cyclone (laughs) Uh, so they all get the same fortune and they all go to this to the cyclone which is this giant crazy roller coaster they get on it all of them are in the same car and the car derails and kills all of them and then the whole musical takes place in like purgatory where they're, they're campaigning to be sent back to life.
0: I mean, that sounds great.
1: Yeah. It's insane and it's campy and it's, it's so much fun. And it's like, it sounds circusy. So it has that kind of Tim Burton-y feel to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that sounds fun. really fun.
1: An absolutely, absolute fluff. Like I don't think there's really a moral to it, but it's, <sighs> it's a good, it's fun to listen to on the subway.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And also sometimes I think fluff can be more meaningful than we give it credit for. I think we mm-hmm. tend to think that things that are fun are useless and things that are like grim and dark are meaningful. And that's not true. That, yeah. I I
1: coming from someone whose mother is Jewish, I uh, tend to to go for the the dark and grim. <laughs> I'm sure. Lot. That's one reason. Uh, so in, in listening to your book, that's one reason why I felt so connected to your book and to your career was just because we had similar upbringings in the Protestant father and the Jewish mother. Uh uh-huh. um, Tell me what growing up was like with that.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, it was like, it was a little weird because all of the religion that we saw around us was like, you know, uh, well, all of the white people religion that we saw around us was, like, just Southern Baptists and and that sort of thing. And, like, we occasionally went to church with my grandparents and that kind of thing. But my mother was just constantly filling my head with things to be scared of or aware of um, that was just so parallel and different from it. Just sort of, like, we don't eat that. Or, like, you know, or just telling me about the Holocaust constantly. And all of the things that she was... You know, preparing me to be prepared about. Um, and it was like, it was really useful because one of the primary things was the way how good she was at teaching me that, like, in any situation, somebody's getting fucked over. So think about who's getting fucked over. And, you know, I think that that was really helpful as a because my dad did, had this sense that, like, the world worked and it was fine. And if people had trouble, that was because they were outsiders and they were probably being difficult. And my mom was like, no. And uh, I, uh, you know, that's the wonderful thing about an unwanted pregnancy is it, it can really bring together a couple <laughs> from two different worlds um, and with two very different ways of looking at the world. And so, yeah, it was, it, it was, and it was really lovely to sort of be exposed to the idea that there were other ways of approaching questions than the ways that the people around me were.
1: Yeah. Something I've noticed with uh, my Jewish friends and even moving to New York uh, because in Seattle, there isn't a huge Jewish community. Like we have a Chabad house and that's about it. Like we didn't even have delis. I don't know where Jewish people got their food (laughs) because we just didn't have it. Uh, But moving to New York, really, it's, it's very interesting seeing Um, Jewish people in their 30s and 40s versus Jewish people in their 50s and 60s and how we've kind of like people my age are are starting to it's almost like the the way we were brought up allowed us to find that compassion a little bit more easily versus like our parents generation it was more of a like these are the terrible things that happened to us shouldn't we just feel bad about that and 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 my generation is now kind of taking that and being like, well, yeah, we feel terrible about that. Let's make sure other people don't feel that now.
0: Yeah, um, and you, you know, encouraging. I, th- I think a lot of people for a lot of time have just been trying to protect themselves um, and I understand that but I think it was really weird for me when I got to college and I was f- for the first time sort of exposed to kids who had grown up in much more and much wealthier and more Jewish places so they they had a sense of um entitlement that mm. didn't make sense to me and like they just um they didn't have the same sort of sense of their own marginalization um which was impressive but also just like weird i was like shouldn't someone have taught this person uh, i was i was in this one class and like there was this kid this like jockey broy kid. It was a contemporary Jewish identities class, a one-unit class at Berkeley. And <laughs> he he was asking why uh more people in the Holocaust didn't like fight back. And I was just like, you know, and like the instructor talked about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and that sort of thing. And I was just like, you fucking idiot. Like because they were broken by a world that had been breaking them their entire lives. Like, it's so weird that you don't know that. Shouldn't your grandma have taught you that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was kind of my reaction coming here was like, it's, it's still weird to me that in New York, it isn't just like Protestant Christian holidays that you get off from work. Like you get Jewish holidays off from work. And I was like, wait, what? Excuse me? <laughs> people know about this stuff over here? Because yeah. growing up in Seattle, like, it's not like we were super isolated, but there just wasn't that that culture around us.
0: No, th- like, it's always weird here in Los Angeles when you see the people who are, like, really taking it seriously and, like, you know, um, like, there's a palpable Purim um, you know ar- around where I live or like you know sometimes like you're driving down the street and you see old guys and they've got uh, like a lulav for Sukkot and it's like all right well we're we're really doing it here um, <laughs> and it's lovely I have a friend now um, who's a gay guy who's like observant and that's always sort of strange to me um, but it's lovely like to see the sort of like structure and meaning it gives to his life
1: i've i've never been around uh, observant jews like i have in new york because even like my grandma my my grandpa was the one who kind of enforced all of that Mm -hmm. uh and he died before i was born yeah so my grandma as soon as he died was like well i'm not orthodox anymore i'm not doing kosher i'm not doing that so i kind of grew up in this environment of like that's too much work we're just gonna like
0: uh, my mother, my mother's classic line is, I don't need to eat shitty food to know that people wanted to kill me.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I will, however, forever rub it in people's faces that before my grandma died, she told me that I make better latkes than her.
0: So, oh, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, and very few people get a Jewish grandma to admit that she doesn't make the best something.
0: My my Jewish grandmother was a truly car- terrible cook. Like, she was a truly terrible cook. <laughs> yeah. The only thing she could make that was good was fried chicken. Hey,
1: that's a difficult thing to make, though. It is. I guess if you're going to to focus it on one single thing, that's a good thing to focus it mm-hmm. on. Um, so, so also, sorry, backtracking for a second. You said you've been working on the Kelly Clarkson show?
0: Oh, no, I just, like, two times so far they've had me come and host games one time when i was a guest they had me host a game for her and scarlett johansson and then they had me come back and host a game for the people from the school for good and evil because kelly clarkson doesn't like to host games she wants to play games and so i hope they have me back it was really fun she's really nice uh
1: she is literally so i don't stand anyone like i i have this problem i think it's a problem that I just, I would, I don't ever die on anyone's hill. Like, that's just not what I do. But Kelly Clarkson, I would probably take a bullet for.
0: <laughs> Vivian, if you were on, who is your Snatch Game? Um, I
1: have a few, but it, it would be Don French. Um, oh, just really? because
0: I fucking adore Don French. Yes. Um, that's really wonderful. Why? What brought you to that?
1: Um, she's probably the one comic actor that my grandma introduced me to, who I was like, wait, this is actually really good. And I've, my grandma sat us down one day when we were visiting, I think for Christmas. and was like, here are some videos of the Vicar of Dibley. You have to watch the show. I was like, okay, that sounds stupid, but I'll watch it. And I now have seen every episode that I can find of The Vicar of Dibley probably 10 times over. Uh... And the French and Saunders, of course, I've seen multiple times. Just something about her delivery. It's
0: so perky. It's so positive. I, I and love it. the fact it.
1: that she's fat, but the fatness isn't the joke of it, is like, something that I love.
0: Well, like the fatness is just contributing to a worldview and a positivity. Like she's mm-hmm. the one bringing things up and Jennifer is the one slamming things down. Also, yeah. the sketches they would do where... Like they would usually be in it, like at a kitchen island, and one of them would be flipping through a magazine and say, "You want to know who has it all?" And then they would just do jokes about a celebrity. Um, like so, French and Saunders was so good, and and I think
1: my favorite thing in The Vicar of Dibley was how she was just there was an effortless sexiness about her that was. Uh part of her character and it was never discussed that she was fat it was never discussed that she was like anything other than who like just being a person and being there and she was just sexy to everyone and I was like how do I get to that world
0: (laughs) that's wonderful all right so Don French who else
1: um Don French I've also done um auditions as Kirstie Alley uh, because easy easy one to throw out. um yeah. I've done Anne Hathaway um because she's I love Anne Hathaway in an interview situation because uh-huh. she's the most chaotic person uh-huh in such an endearing way um I did JonBenet Ramsey at one point just because I didn't have a good answer for the third one. So I just like pretended I was dead on screen because <laughs> dark, dark humor is how I get through my life.
0: That is dark.
1: Um, I've done, I did Ross, Ross Matthews at one point <laughs> just because that was when they were starting to like allow the queens to do uh, male impersonations for Snatch Game. I was like, yeah. someone's got to do Ross. Like yes. someone has to. Um, And I personally think it was very good, but (laughs) (laughs) who would you do as a snatch game? If you were, if you were on there.
0: Oh, Ursula from the little mermaid.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just pull out a full Pat Carroll.
0: Yes. Well, that's the thing is that there's the weird way that they're not allowed to say that they're characters sometimes. So they have to say that they're the actor behind it. And I don't entirely understand that. And I don't know if I would be allowed to do Ursula. Um, probably yeah. not.
1: You'd probably have to call yourself like a random sea witch or something. <laughs> um, I think it's a copyright issue is they just don't want to pay for the copyrights for yeah. those characters. But
0: um, but that's probably uh, uh, my best. I mean, part of me has always wondered, should I give up my entire career? And just move to Israel and become a drag queen who specializes in uh Netta Barzati. Do you know who Netta is? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, maybe, maybe this is my purpose. <laughs> I would
1: love, I would love to see that. Please do that for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I will make the costume. Just make it happen.
0: <laughs> Are you good at sewing? I like to
1: think I am. I make like two thirds of my income from it. So
0: oh, that's wonderful. Yeah.
1: The podcast is just my, my fun side, side
0: gig. Awesome. Like I do, I'm really envious of people who like took greater hold of their fashion world. You know what I mean? People who are like more in control of that because I I tend to so not think about the clothes that I'm wearing just because like as a creepily gigantic man, I have for most of my life been going to the gigantic man store where they're pretty much just like, you're a JV football coach, right? Here are your options. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when, in the, like, run-up to uh, Bros coming out, I was like, this is a fucking gay movie. Um, You know, I was watching everybody at, like, all of the Fire Island premieres showing up in, like, you know, like, nets and, you know, um, like... Sheer stuff and they're doing all of these ridiculous things. And I'm like, I'm also in a gay movie. This is, there's going to be like, everyone's going to be bringing it on the red carpet. I have to figure something out. So I went to a stylist and I was basically like, just make things for me, just make things for me. And she did, and it was terribly expensive, but I was pleased, I was very pleased with the results.
1: I will need to look those up because I'm sure it looked amazing.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I, I was very proud.
1: That's honestly one reason why I got into sewing when I was a little kid was because I loved Halloween as a kid. I kind of fell out of love with it for a while because as a drag queen, you're like, I already dress up a lot. This isn't exciting anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm getting back on the bandwagon slowly but surely. Uh, But that's how I got into it as a little kid was just like, I want to wear cool things and my mom isn't going to make it and stores don't sell it. And I've always been a big kid. So I was like, I guess I got to make it now. Um it and was
0: like my mom couldn't sew. It was the one woman skill she didn't have. And so and she hated Halloween and she would never get into it. And so I, I'm very envious of I think particularly millennials fucking love costumes. Um mm-hmm. so d- could your mom sew or did you just learn on she your own?
1: Could she could she had a sewing machine and she did some stuff for us when we were very little, but she has virtually no patience,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I mean, she homeschooled two children and that took all of her patients all the time. So like, I get it. Um, but when it came to me wanting to have giant wizarding robes and <laughs> to have fabulous, huge costumes, she was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't have the time or, or yeah. wherewithal for that. So I had to learn how to figure it out. Um, and that was how I got my started was wizarding robes. And now I just, Every single client that comes to me that with a leotard uh or a dance costume, I'm like, can't I just like, don't you want some robes? Like I guess <laughs> cancel JK Rowling, but like, can we still do the robes?
0: <laughs> so this was rooted in a deep love of Harry Potter from your childhood? I just
1: have always loved fantasy. My dad, um, so we my parents were very specific as as much um I feel like this is turning into therapy. As as much um, as they wouldn't let us watch TV, they wanted us to read really specifically. Um, And so during lunchtime every day, my mom would read us like kid-appropriate books, like the Little House on the Prairie books and things like that. Oh,
0: that's lovely.
1: Um, But then at night, right before bed, my dad would read a chapter of some like big, heady literary work um, that me and my sister should have in our brains for some reason. So like Moby Dick and like Tale of Two Cities. I heard Tale of Two Cities when I was maybe nine years old. And (laughs) literally all I can remember is the very opening where they're talking about knitting hair from the dead people's (laughs) heads. Not child appropriate. Um, But what he did do, he also read us The Hobbit and the entire Lord of the Rings series by the time I was 10 or 11. And so from a very young age, I was very much... Enamored with the idea of having a giant cloak that I could just swish when I was unhappy and run through the fog with fabric trailing behind me.
0: Have you been watching the Amazon Lord of the Rings show? I have
1: not. I'm a little terrified of it because I've been hearing the reviews, and I'm I'm just like letting it kind of
0: trash. It's kind of trash.
1: I wasn't able to watch the third uh, Hobbit movie. I'm still impressed that I got through the first two.
0: I mean, those, the Hobbit did not need to be three movies. No, it didn't. It really didn't. Uh, and I,
1: I I, do, I feel bad for Amazon because I know that they're up against a lot in terms of the the world building because Peter Jackson did such an incredible job with yeah. those original 3 Lord of the Rings movies. So there's a lot to follow up on and well, there's also, a lot to build on, but
0: it's very hard to honor J.R. Tolkien and have women be speaking characters who aren't Galadriel. Like yeah, you know, he didn't really understand ladies. Um, but I don't know that uh The Rings of Power has figured out the answer. Uh, but that's I certainly bad. watched every episode. I've not watched <laughs> every episode of the Dragon Show.
1: I haven't seen a bit of it. Well, that's not true. I caught my my roommate was watching it, so I caught like maybe ten minutes of an episode at one point. Mm-hmm. But um, I have, however, watched every episode of uh, His Dark Materials, which was oh. not a book I was allowed to read when I was a kid. Yes, because people, it's so
0: atheist.
1: Yeah, how dare you! And I I keep pushing and being like dad you need to watch the show dad it's incredible dad they did such a great job
0: i really liked the nicole kidman movie um and that like got me to read the books the first book was very good the third book is ridiculously dumb um but uh so you like the tv show you think it's good i love it
1: i truly think so i i did like the original movie just as someone who hadn't read the books i liked the original movie it was fun it was an adventure movie the Nicole Kidman is fabulous in everything um, but this show really appeals to the like it appeals to me in the way that the original like 1980s BBC Chronicles of Narnia movies appealed to me in that, uh-huh. that it's very human and they're very It's it's much more of a BBC style of show than it is an American style of show and that's yeah. why I like it
0: yeah, I mean, the fact that the BBC didn't have the budget to go anywhere and pretty much just had to make people talk in front of sets mm-hmm. um, made for like, I was watching a little bit of an episode of Doctor Who and I was never a Doctor Who person, but it's just like, it's such a different approach to to sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. And it is always fun the way that that comes out in, in stuff like, you know, those 1980s book adaptations and stuff. Yeah.
1: It's always I find them to be more true to the source material just because I mean you read a book and books don't change scenery every five minutes. It's yeah. they're standing in one place for a couple of chapters. Yeah. So it's it it it's easier, I think, in that that film way to adapt to something.
0: I truly miss like the random shit that would come on PBS on like a friday at like 11 p.m. Mm. i was like what are we even watching here what have those like, british people been doing
1: like did you ever see there was one called the box of delights
0: no what was that it was
1: it was again one of those like 80s ones where it was just all of these like they would have someone dressed up in a wolf costume and then the person would start running and then all of a sudden it was a real wolf that would like fade in over them and and continue running and like
0: they would open the box
1: and it was the cartoon like magic that would come out of the box that kind of stuff Uh, no i mean
0: one of the glories of the internet over the past 20 years has been able to be like what was that weird thing i remembered and then google it enough that you're like oh chalky's children it was a book that got turned into (laughs) a tv show in britain it doesn't make any sense that's always very fun
1: if you could adapt any book into a movie with you as the writer, what would you pick?
0: Oh, um, from Mix of Files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler. Are you familiar with it? <gasps>
1: yes. Oh my God. I've never known that anyone
0: else knew that story. Um, I, they've done some adaptations of it, and they're all really bad. And I think it is fundamentally about ch- like children learning to be sophisticated um Mm. and we don't want to tell stories like that we love stories about like childhood innocence and this is a story about childhood sophistication and I love it so much and I just think it would be so glamorous I can't decide whether you have to update it to the present time or it should be told in the 60s um I think it should be
1: told in the 60s
0: I mean like the fashions would be so great uh, and Absolutely. also, it's just, like, you're, you're more comfortable <laughs> with two little children just, like, walking around New York on their own.
1: Yeah, um, that, like, the, the them finally making it into, like, her office and just having the piles and piles and piles of manila envelopes of things. Like, you wouldn't find that as much anymore.
0: No, um, it's delicious. I mean, luckily, Mrs. Baisley Frank Weller is like um an old eccentric so she hasn't necessarily moved everything to digital yet Uh, but you know uh, that's the best like I just love that it's about being able to think about the way that somebody else thinks you know Mm. what does it mean I really need to
1: go back and read it again it's been probably two decades since I've read that book I need to pull it back out
0: I I mean I have a niece uh, I have a copy right here boom oh my goodness um I have a niece who is now 21, but that means I got to reread so much of that stuff, you know, eight years ago or whatever.
1: I think that book alone is why I love museums. Yeah. Truly why. I think that's what it is. There's, I've been going through this renaissance lately of figuring out, like, okay, why do I like this? Why is this thing my favorite? Why do I like that color? Why, why do I like fashion that looks like that? And, like, going back and tying it into... Oh, I love Edwardian fashion because there was this illustrated this illustration in a children's book that I adored as a child, and she is wearing Edwardian clothes. Yeah. Okay, now I understand that. Um, and that is absolutely one of those moments I'm pretty sure. Like it's it's children's literature in that era was there was something else. It mm-hmm. was something else.
0: No, it is interesting how many of the like classics we think of are like edwardian british you know uh, like um or like all of the stuff that came out of the united states in like the 60s there was lots mm-hmm. of really interesting stuff i don't know there's so much why stuff that's turned out these days and i'm like is it any good i don't know i miss i mean i still read a
1: lot of young adult uh fiction from like Victorian England and things like that, like huh. Edith Nesbitt's books and um, like the five children in it, the railway children and the amulet. And um, then going into the sixties, you have um, mixed up files, you have gone away. Lake, you have all of those kinds yeah. of books. And I think it was because those books were more focused on the adventure than they were focused on the fact that they were kids. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were kids was just there to sell the book. The rest yeah. of it was just, it was just a great adventure story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I keep returning to those is because, especially as a gay man, I just, I love that feeling of of wonder and getting to escape the world again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that sense of escape is really important. That sense of being able to uh, let slip the bonds of the world that's sort of holding you back.
1: Is there a book that you can remember when you were a kid, um, other than Mix Up Files, that really turned you on to that sense of wonder?
0: Oh, when I was really young, there was this like storybook called The Secret Three. That was about two boys, it was about three boys and they were like friends with each other. But in the book, there were like messages that were all coded. And Mm -hmm. um, I figured out, I like decoded the messages on my own. And I was like I just loved it the fact that it had involved me in the process so much mm. I felt so proud of reading it and it it really meant a lot to me yeah or or I mean and then the other end of that is when I was uh 18 and I read um The Handmaid's Tale and I got really? to the end of it and I was like oh sh-. like I, I read it and I was dissatisfied with the ending for like two days And I was like, that ending was just so storybook and perfect after that whole thing. Why would it be like that? And then I realized, I like for the first time realized that a narrator might be unreliable. And Mm. it just sort of blew up in my world. And I like fell in love with the book. And, um, you know, like I really liked those things that gave me a place in the narrative, you know, sort of like asked me to do some work. It's one of the things about gay men and culture I think is really interesting is the extent to which we really prefer. We prefer culture that requires us to do a little unpacking. And I think it's why sometimes things like bros don't feel as satisfying as other things that require us to identify in a non-traditional way or find humor through Mm -hmm. camp or something like that. Like... We we want to, to do part of the work.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Uh, the Weirdly, the first book that I remember really connecting to, I mean, of course, there were all the kids' books and things like that, and I always loved picture books because illustrations are, I, I love just sitting and staring at illustrations for hours on an end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first, like, adult book that I can remember connecting to, weirdly, was Beowulf I remember sitting down reading Seamus Haney's uh translation of Beowulf for in high school for a class I was taking Uh and getting to the end and just crying when he died and then sitting up and being like why do I care so much about such a weird book to care about yeah and and I think it was because uh, that book is such a perfect example of he the the traditional hero of he's perfect in every way except for his vanity, and yeah. except for that that pride that he has, and ultimately that's what kills him. And I just picked up on that, and when it when it ultimately killed him, it just devastated me.
0: It's so awesome when something is able to sort of like ring through the centuries, and even though it comes from like such a different yeah. world still sort of like evokes such feeling from you. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's honestly, I get nervous about reading anymore because I'm like, I doubt any book could ever, <laughs> the I, cynic in me is like, I doubt any book could ever do that for me again. That's, the trouble, with books, but. that's
0: the trouble with aging is that you are like, <laughs> how is this experience going to rock me the way that other things have? And, but part of it is also that like, you want that you hunger for it. And you know you keep searching for it because you do want to feel it again like you will you know going to the movies like every time a movie starts that feeling of like this might be amazing mm-hmm. it's so fun
1: oh yeah I, as I haven't gotten to go to movies in theaters very often recently, because first off, I'm just not looking to spend $30 for two hours. Um, But also just my, my work schedule hasn't allowed for it as much, but the last time I got to go see a movie, I got to go see everything everywhere all at once. And it truly, I had no idea what it was going to be about. And so when the lights went down, I definitely had that those butterflies in my stomach are just like, I don't know what I'm about to watch and I sure hope it's great.
0: Well, it was such an out-of-the-box film that you would be hard to... Nobody's going to expect that, you know? Yeah. And and it really was one of those experiences that was... Because I didn't know what to expect and it started so small and then mm-hmm. it let that character become so big, you know? Um, It was really... Beautiful. And I was like really excited for my mom to get to watch it because I was like, so infrequently do we show like a working class woman and show her as a creature of potential. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But my mom just kept falling asleep when we watched it. My niece, however, (laughs) loved it. Absolutely.
1: I'm jealous of getting to go to the timeline where everyone's just a rock with googly eyes. Like That just (laughs) sounds so peaceful. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I especially loved that one because so rarely do you get to go to a movie that seems to be building to such an important, huge psychological breakthrough and pointing to this huge moral. And then at the end, it's just, the moral is nothing matters, just enjoy shit. Yeah. And I was so excited.
0: Well, somebody somebody I knew and respect was like it don't before I had seen it they were like didn't you find it to be a little nihilistic um and I didn't find it to be nihilistic even though it is explicitly nihilistic I think it really does in the face of nihilism find meaning and just sort of saying like loving the people around you that is enough like that Mm -hmm. is enough
1: absolutely the the experience of getting to experience life with other people yeah, It's joy in and of itself. Yeah, it was ugh, it's the perfect. Every movie needs to be about that. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, well, we've been talking for about an hour. Um, and I I normally like to keep episodes to an hour, but yes, it's been absolutely wonderful getting to talk to you.
0: It's delightful getting to know you.
1: And um, where, if people would like to find you outside of your your film and TV work, where can they find you?
0: Um, across all media or social media, I'm at Guy Branum. Um, But please watch Bros, now streaming, and uh, buy my book, My Life as a Goddess.
1: It's well worth the read, especially for the chapter on Bohemian Rhapsody. I literally <laughs> quote that to people at least once a week
0: (laughs) oh that's so kind that's so sweet thank you
1: um but yeah thank you for being on the podcast and i hope to get to talk to you again sometime soon yeah
0: thanks uh i hope to talk soon
1: all right and we will see you all later bye thank you for listening to yeah but with vivian gabor tune in next week same place same time yeah